You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. The devil. I thought about putting up a recent Grammy performance picture, but uh, I thought that might be in bad taste this morning. But since I've been doing some blast from the past stories in my sermons, I thought I'd retell another childhood story. Up on the screen, you're going to see it. But uh, growing up, I used to play a game called Diablo. And of course, Diablo is Spanish for devil. And of course, Diablo has nothing to do with Mexicans or Spaniards. But uh, this is going to get really nerdy really fast. It's a dungeon crawler, RPG, or role-playing game. Uh, You basically, in this game, you start a character and each character has different abilities, and you go around the dungeon killing demons and killing skeletons and so forth, a warrior, an assassin, a wizard, and so forth. Uh, then, uh, as I was maybe 12 or 13 years old, let's put, a little, put, it, put it in context a little bit, the expansion pack Hellfire dropped. And uh, when Hellfire dropped, I was really, really excited about this particular expansion pack because it included a new character, Uh, And that character, of course, was the monk. And I was really excited about the monk because the monk uh, didn't have to wear any armor. It was very agile. It fought with its its hands. And uh, little did I know, I guess, I would become a monk in real life. Uh, But looking back, I'm pretty sure, as I thought about this game, that it was a, uh, a bit of a gateway drug for me into something way more hardcore, something so nerdy that it's only whispered in the shadows. Something that's known as live action role-playing games or also known as LARPs or LARPing. Who knows what that is? Okay, a lot of you afraid to show your your hands (laughs) and potentially lose your jobs, but (laughs) in LARPs, it's basically like real Diablo. You pick a character, and you have different abilities, and you go on quests and stuff with real live people, and they play their characters and so forth, and basically everybody dresses up as their character. And you get these, uh, these weapons that are basically like built like axes or swords, but they're padded weapons, and uh, you get these kind of realish armor, and you just kind of go around beating each other up. Anyways, I only played a few times, I promise. This was not an addiction or anything like this as a kid, but... Uh, As a kid, I played a mage. I told you this was getting really nerdy really fast. And I really liked the mage because it was simple. Uh, I basically didn't have to wear armor. I wore my mom's bathrobe, which is this purple bathrobe. It was supposed to be like a wizard's outfit. And then they gave me these bean bags, which were like spells. And if I threw the bean bag at somebody, they would pretend they were frozen. And uh, that was about it. Now, why am I mentioning all of this this morning? (laughs) Uh, Well, we're looking at a famous passage this morning, and uh, this passage is about the real spiritual conflict that we are all in, a spiritual conflict that is much more complex and unseen than the Grammys or tarot cards, a spiritual conflict, a spiritual war that each and every one of us is part of. And as we'll see in this passage this morning, in Christ, God has supplied the very tools we need to be strong in this war. 
not in mystical amulets or in beanbags like a LARP game, but the spiritual strength that we can find this morning in the Spirit of God and in knowing Jesus Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So that's really where I'm going this morning. The main idea of this passage and the main idea of this sermon, it's going to be right from verse 10. It's this, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In this broken world where there really is evil, where there really is distraction, where there really is an opponent of our faith, we need to be strong in him. We need to be strong in our God. The battles are coming. The battles are here. They're coming tomorrow, this week, next month, this year. They're coming. But be assured this morning, be encouraged this morning, God has given us resources in himself through Jesus Christ to keep us on our feet. The battle is not ours this morning. It is the Lord's. Now, my outline is going to be up on the screen. It's going to flow right from the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians. And it's this. Number one, his strength in the fight. Whom we fight. I'm going to go out of order just a little bit. Number three, how they fight. Number four, how we fight. And number five, who to remember when we fight. Those are the five points. That's where I'm going this morning. I'll go pretty uh, pretty uh, uh, with some haste through the points. Uh, so uh, buckle up. We're excited that you're here this morning. As a church, we've, uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians for the last couple months. And in the first half of Ephesians, we are powerfully reminded of all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, we see that we were predestined to be his sons and daughters. We see that we were cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2, we've been saved by his grace, his sheer mercy and kindness. But then in the second half of the book of Ephesians, we start to see the so what. What do you do in light of all these things? How then shall we live? We see ethics. And over the last few weeks, we have seen the gospel applied all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we've seen the gospel fleshed out and applied to how we should live, particularly in how it impacts our relationships, particularly in how it impacts our marriages, our workplaces, our singleness, our families, our personal lives. It's comprehensive. Knowing Jesus as Lord isn't just an event on Sunday. It's all of us. It's all of us. And this morning, we finally get to the conclusion of that ethical teaching in the book of Ephesians. And it's really the first point this morning, his strength in the fight. It says, finally, finally, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul will go on to tell us that we need to be strong because we're in a spiritual conflict. We need to be strong because we're in a spiritual conflict conflict and you need to be strong in that spiritual conflict because you're called to live out the vision God has for your life. Let me just say that again. You need to be strong in the spiritual conflicts that you will face because you're called to live out the vision God has for your life. To belong to Jesus Christ this morning means that you have moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And even up until this very moment, Jesus, 
by the power of his spirit, is at work in this church. He's at work in this city, in this country, in this world to set the captives free, to redeem and repurpose people from the empty ways of this world, to open the eyes of the blind. Each and every one of us has been called by God to live out this particular vision for our lives, His vision for our lives. But if we're honest this morning, we should realize this morning that we need His strength to live out that vision. He's calling us, each and every one of us, to do hard things with our lives. He has called us to do hard things with our lives, to die to the old self, to put on the new self, to overcome within yourself what you cannot overcome with your own emotional and mental abilities, to let go of the past, to forgive all the records against you, to persevere in this life in faith and hope and love, to reach the finish line, to not be mastered by fear or guilt or unbelief, but to be set free, to fulfill your own ministry and calling, to participate in the work of the church, the mission of God. This is all very hard. In fact, it's impossible to do it ourselves. We need His strength. This morning, if you are worried about your family, about your health, about relationships, about things not turning out right, if you feel weak in all of that this morning, congratulations. You are a candidate for God's strength. This morning, perhaps, you have a huge decision in front of you. If you're not sure what to do, if you feel weak to make that decision, congratulations. This morning, you are eligible for God's strength. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in, on your own understanding, and He will make all your ways straight. One great weapon that God has used throughout the centuries to move mountains is a life that is totally yielded to Him. A life that is surrendered to Him. Why? Because that person becomes really strong. Because they're strong in Him. We need His strength. Which really leads us to the second point this morning, whom we fight. Skip down to verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, of course, the Apostle Paul is talking about spirits, the demonic, Satan, the devils. He lists four particular groups but they're all very similar. They exist in the heavenly places, the unseen. And notice that he says that ultimately, in real conflicts, we don't wrestle with mere human beings, with flesh and blood. He says that the fight is more complex. We wrestle against unseen spiritual realities, unseen spiritual realities that animate and influence and draw people to participate in real lies, faulty worldviews, in deception, in allegiances to things that are not true or good or God. Said another way, he's saying that in many occasions in this life, when you see human beings participating in violence and greed, when you see them participating in slander and sin, in those occasions, 
What's behind that isn't just flesh and blood. It isn't just human willpower. Instead, to some degree, they're participating and they're caught up in something that is way beyond themselves. The ultimate source behind the evil isn't flesh and blood, it's something else. The point is, is that we often point to the haters and the broken relationships in our own lives and we say, they're bad news. They're not good people. But we're reminded here that sometimes, oftentimes, these people are dupes. They're pawns. They're under the thumb of the evil one. They're to blame, to sure, yes, for sure. But until we see where the poison is coming from, we'll never know how to fix it. We'll never know how to rightly navigate the situation. Now, some of you, some of us struggle with this concept of spiritual warfare, or we're confused by this concept of spiritual warfare. We don't want to excuse people who do horrible things with the excuse that, oh, the devil made them do it. Others of us, perhaps, were quick to default to our Western worldview that essentially says everything has a natural cause. All the evil in the world has a sociological or psychological cause. But I would just remind you this morning that if you ever really want to take seriously, if you ever really want to take on the darkness in your own heart and your family's heart, if we ever really want to take on the evil in this world, in our city's heart, in our nation's heart, we need a more nuanced understanding of evil. Not just the default Western view or the cautious view, but God's view. Now, I think there's two really helpful illustrations out there that explain this view a little bit better. First, of course, is C.S. Lewis, and then uh, second is a pastor who lived a little bit while back. I've shared this before, but C.S. Lewis famously says in the introduction of his book, The Screwtape Letters, that there are two equal and opposite errors that you can fall into with regards to the demonic or the spiritual. On the one hand, he says you can overestimate their power and strength, Essentially, you can have an unhealthy interest or a fascination in them. You start saying, everything is the devil. But on the other hand, you can underestimate their power and their strength. You cannot believe in them at all. You can completely ignore them. One is overbelief, and the other is underbelief. And Lewis ends that section by essentially saying, the devils are equally pleased by both errors, and they'll hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Second, another uh, helpful illustration to kind of draw out this nuance is a Christian pastor by the name of Richard Baxter back in the 1600s. And Baxter had a sermon on depression. And the sermon essentially was, what are some of the possible causes of depression? And he really lists four. He says it could be one of the four, but it could be all four of these working together or some of them working together or some type of combination. And again, this is really helpful in bringing out the nuance. He says, number one, the depression might be caused by a physical cause. And in that case, what you need is medicine. You need rest. Something might be wrong with your body. Number two, he says it might be a psychological cause. You might be cast down in your temperament. And then what you need in that case is you need a lot of love, a lot of support. You need community. He also mentions there might be a moral cause. You might, be, you might be feeling guilty about something. You might have wronged somebody. You're sad about it. It, it bugs you deeply within your soul. And in, in that case, what you need is repentance. What you need is reconciliation, forgiveness. Or fourthly, he says, and this is really where we're getting at this morning, he says it could have a demonic cause. It could have a demonic cause. 
Now, to completely rule out number four or to completely blame everything on the devil are both bad. Why? Well, because both errors reduce evil. Evil is multifaceted. And the key to successfully fighting against it is to know who we are fighting and what we are fighting. Not always flesh and blood, but often unseen spiritual realities that animate and influence and draw people to participate in worldviews that are lies because of deep allegiances to things that are not good, that are not God, and that are not true. This really leads us to our third point this morning, getting a little bit deeper, how they fight. How they fight. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, it's too bad that Colin Price isn't here today, but last year at the men's retreat, I heard that Colin was a really good chess player. Chess is obviously a strategy game, and I'm not a very good chess player, but I wanted to beat Colin. So I downloaded this chess game on my phone, and on the chess game, you can play against a bot, uh, a, 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 a bot that essentially simulates some of the best chess players in the world. And so what I did was I, I took this little game, uh, chess, and I put it under the table, and every move that Colin made, I made the same move <laughs> Uh, on, on my phone as the player. Then I saw how the professional bot would respond to the move, and I copied that move in real time against, <laughs> against Colin as Ben. I was making amazing moves, and by like the fifth or sixth move, he was just like, whoa, how are you? How are you? Now, I couldn't really, I couldn't keep it going, so I told him we both laughed. But chess is a strategy game. It's about watching. It's about outsmarting. It's about striking. That word schemes here in verse 11, is the word for strategies. The idea here is that in spiritual warfare, we're up against the strategies of Satan. He watches, he waits, he outsmarts, and he strikes. The Apostle Peter says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He is a big, hungry, fat, evil cat. Now, these schemes can be more sensational, things like invisible friends, Things like night terrors, the presence of evil, the manifest presence of darkness, demonization. I've experienced a lot of those things, but more often than not, spiritual warfare has less to do with exorcisms and demon possessions, and it has more to do with things that happen in the everyday mundane details of life. Notice a clue here is this word in verse 11, devil. Devil. It's used to describe Satan or demons a lot in the Bible. It's from the Greek word diabolos, and it means slanderer. It means liar. It means deceiver. It's a helpful word because it shows you the main strategy of the demonic. And of course, what is that? It's lies. It's deception. Deceit. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, and what do you see? What do you see Satan doing in the very beginning? What do you see him doing in the garden? He's not possessing the original man and the original woman. What is he doing? He's lying to them. He's putting lies about who they are and who God is in their hearts. As one pastor said, Satan doesn't leave fang marks on your flesh. He leaves lies in your heart. He's a liar. 
He's a deceiver. Now, how does he do that? Well, he lies by talking to you. Probably not literally, but by stimulating the talk that goes on in your heart. By stimulating the talk that goes on in your spirit. He takes what's there or not there, and he goes to town. And as always, the, the, the thoughts of our hearts lead to the emotions of our soul and the will of the soul. Now, I've mentioned this before, but there's generally two categories in the Bible that, that we see for this kind of talk. Temptations and accusations. Temptations and accusations. In temptations, it's, it's all about having too high of a view of yourself and to go do things that you shouldn't do. It's about forgetting the holiness of God, that pleasing Him matters most. And in accusation, it's just the opposite. It's having too low of view of yourself and to go and do the things that you shouldn't do. It's all about forgetting the love of God, who you're defined by. In temptation, Satan hides God's holiness from you, how much he hates sin. Satan hides that from you and he plays up the love. Whereas in accusation, Satan hides God's love from you. He plays up God's holiness and wrath, and he hides God's love. In moments of temptation, the thoughts of your heart tell you that you are invincible, that you're always right, and that pleasing yourself matters most. Whereas in moments of accusation, the thoughts of your heart tell you that you're worthless. You're not enough. You're never going to be loved by God. Spiritual warfare Temptations, accusations start with lies. Lies that are whispered into our spirits. Satan leads us to think too highly of ourselves or too lowly of ourselves or think too highly of the holiness of God or too lowly of the holiness of God or too much about the love of God or too little about the love of God and we bite. Which really leads us to the fourth point this morning, how we fight how we fight. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, unlike the game Diablo or LARPs, this is not speaking of physical armor. There are no magical amulets or special relics that we can use to ward off demons. A crucifix will not keep a devil away. A silver bullet won't do the trick. This is a metaphor. It's probably influenced by a Roman soldier's armor, but more than that, this metaphor is influenced by the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, what we find is that God himself is pictured as a divine warrior. He wears the breastplate of righteousness. He wears the helmet of salvation, and his words are like a sharp sword, and he's saving his people. But this metaphor, notice, it isn't groundbreaking. It's not a bunch of new information. This isn't some special elevated information for super Christians. 
The metaphor is pulling everything that Paul has been saying for the last four months together. Everything that's in the book of Ephesians is coming together in this beautiful metaphor. In essence, he's saying, how do we fight against the demonic? How do we fight against the unseen? Well, we live in the power of the gospel. We let the gospel and all of its truths permeate our hearts. The gospel is the message of truth. Ephesians 1, to know Jesus Christ is to know the truth, and that truth will set you free. The gospel is what gives us righteousness. Ephesians 4, to know Jesus Christ is to be clothed in a beautiful righteousness that comes from outside of you given to you by God freely. The gospel is what gives us peace. Ephesians chapter 2, to know Jesus Christ is to have a peace that this world can never give, a peace that can stabilize our hearts. The gospel is good news, Ephesians 1. He changes our hearts with good news. The gospel is what gives us faith, Ephesians chapter 2. He raised us up and he saved us by his grace. And the gospel is a powerful word, Ephesians 6. It cuts through lies and it gives us a new identity in him. Said another way, To put on this armor of God is to take the truth of the gospel and to work it into your heart. It's to take the things that are true of you now in Jesus Christ and to work that into your heart. And by working that into your heart, you create new instincts. You create new reflexes, so much so that when you meet fear, that when you meet being slighted, that when you meet impossible odds, you respond as a loved person. You respond as an accepted person. You respond as a safe person instinctively. It's to build our identity on Him. It's to let the thoughts of your hearts be defined by Him. It's living out the truth. In the Gospels, there's a famous story that we all know of Jesus who's on the boat with His disciples. We all know the story. And the disciples and Jesus are out on the sea, and Jesus falls asleep on the boat. And all of a sudden, a massive storm rolls in. It's bad. It's really bad. It's violent, and it's really fast. And the disciples start to really freak out. And eventually, they they wake him up. And they say, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus famously gets up, and he rebukes the storm, but then he rebukes them. And he says to them, this is very interesting, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Not that you need more faith, Not that you didn't have enough faith. He says, where is your faith? In other words, he's saying, are you serious? How dare you say that I don't care about you after all that you've seen that I've done for you? In other words, he's saying, I've shown you my power. I've told you about my relationship with you. You know who I am. Why are you panicking? Why is this your first response? He's saying, I'll tell you why you're panicking. You believe all these things on paper. God loves you. Jesus is the Son of God. You believe all these things about me. But your heart is not shaped by the truth of these things. Your instincts were to panic. Your instincts were to say, he doesn't care. We're going to die. He says, where is your faith? Putting on the armor means that we take the things that we know are true that we know that are true about us in Christ, and we work that into our heart. 
So much so that by working it into our heart, we create new instincts, new reflexes. So much so that when you respond to fear or being slighted or rejection or impossible odds, you respond as a loved person, as a person who's accepted, who's forgiven, who's safe instinctively. That's putting on the armor. Putting on the armor is taking the truth of the gospel and working it into our hearts. So much so that the lies of the enemy are drowned out. They're demolished through the truth of knowing Jesus Christ. Verse 18 goes on to remind us of one of the most important ways in which we fight prayer. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's a great reminder we can have all the armor in the world, but it won't help us if we're distracted or overconfident. This is talking about the attitude of prayer, of dependence on God's spirit. It's just as important, if not more important, than the armor. But then finally, this passage concludes, and it really leads us to our final point this morning, who to remember when we fight. Who to remember when we fight. Verse 19. And also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul says, as a prisoner, pray for me for boldness as I speak about Jesus. It would have been easy for him to feel ashamed. It would have been easy for him to say, I'm so angry. Pray that we would crush our enemies with all of God's power. It would have been so easy for him to say, pray that I get out of these chains so that I would have a good life. But Paul keeps in the front of his mind Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself shows us what the fight is all about. When Jesus Christ came, he didn't come with a sword in his hands. He didn't come to own his enemies. He didn't even come to bring the sword of God's judgment. When Jesus came, he came with nails in his hands. He came to die for his enemies, you and I. The judgment of God fell on him completely. He gave himself up for us. And the strength of God this morning, the power of God this morning, is found in the sacrificial love demonstrated on the cross. No mind can fully fathom that power to save. No mind can fully comprehend the heights and the depths in which God has loved us. As one writer has said, true strength is manifested not in the exercise of power, but in the willingness to give it up. Our enemies are never really our enemies. Others, our neighbors, are never really our enemies. Jesus Christ died for his enemies. That's how he overcame evil. And real victory in our lives is emulated by doing the same. Dying for our enemies, forgiving our enemies, inconveniencing ourselves for others so that they would know good so that they would know God. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.